Welcome back this morning as we continue in our series called The Kingdom. We've been in this series for a handful of weeks, and I was thinking about this idea of the kingdom, and it got me thinking about John the Baptist and how when John the Baptist begins his ministry in Matthew 3 and starts preaching in the wilderness of Judea, John doesn't come preaching the Jewish law. John doesn't come preaching a religion of happiness. What we see John start with is the words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For John, this meant that Jesus was coming and that he was bringing with his incarnate being the kingdom of heaven. It would no longer be a far-off place, but it would be something that was brought to reality there in their midst by Jesus, right now, changing things forever. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, which is where we're going to be finding ourselves in today, This phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is used 32 times. So as we this morning continue to explore the idea of the kingdom and how it applies to our life, let us first humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer, seeking his wisdom and his discernment as we read these words he has given us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that we can pause and remember that you are why we are here. Lord, you are who calls us together this morning, and it is your word that we seek because it is life-giving. Lord, through your word, we find you and the grace that you extend to us. So Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you would give us wisdom to understand what it is that you have declared, to see how we can apply it in our lives and how we can thus reflect you more and more each and every day. Lord, may it be pleasing to you this morning as we gather together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I wanted to share with you a a short video clip, and it's an older video clip, and maybe you're familiar with this uh, singer, but it's a great song that I think relates to what we're going to be talking about today. So go ahead and take a look. This is Bobby McFerrin singing one of his most well-known songs. Expect some trouble, but when you wear it, you make it double. Don't worry, they'll be happy. We teach people do the cake, the good cake, it's a better boot, don't worry, be happy. Bobby McFerrin coined these words, don't worry, be happy. And yet, in life we need more than just to not worry to be happy. It's not quite as simple as just telling ourselves, don't worry, be happy. If we're honest with ourselves, worry can be an issue in our life. Worry is a thief. It steals our joy, it clouds our minds, and at times weighs heavy upon our hearts. Bills pile up. 
relationships are strained, and the future at times looks uncertain. In these moments, it's easy to get caught up in the what-ifs, the questions of what will come, and to fall to anxiety amongst us. But what if there's another way? What if amidst the chaos we could find peace? Not by ignoring our problems or just telling ourselves to not worry and be happy, but by transforming our perspective. So today we're going to turn to a timeless message found in Matthew 6, 25-34, where Jesus offers a radical antidote to worry. He doesn't tell us to just ignore our problems and smile more, but instead he invites us on a journey of faith and trust and a perspective shift. So prepare to be challenged, to be comforted by Jesus' words, and perhaps to even be surprised. Through vivid illustrations that he uses like birds of the air and the lilies of the field, Jesus unlocks a profound truth for us. The truth that God cares for us deeply and that God knows our needs and understands our fears and yet still promises to provide for us. This passage goes deep, urging us to prioritize God's kingdom and righteousness above all else. And when we do this, when we seek God first, he promises that the rest will fall into place. So are you ready to ditch your worry, to embrace a life of trust? Well, let's dive into these verses together today and discover the freedom that Jesus offers us one step at a time. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 25 through 34. And in our text today, Jesus gives four commandments, four commands, and three of these are extremely similar and one is different. We're going to look at these commands and we're going to look at the reasons that Jesus gives us for these commands here in the Sermon on the, and on the Mount and see why he encourages us to not pursue worry. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, I'm going to read the entirety of it. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus gives us this passage here filled with these four commands as to how we are to go about living our lives. 
And he starts off in verse 25 with that word therefore, which we've talked a lot about in the past, that it links what's happened before with what Jesus is coming, is bringing next. He's reminding the listeners that the verses and what he's about to say are related to what he just finished talking about. And what Jesus had just finished talking about in verse 24 was the idea that we cannot serve two masters. And he had said that we can't serve both God and money. He named those as the two masters. And the reality is when we try to serve two gods, we end up divided with our allegiance. Jesus knows that if we pursue after anything but him alone, it will divide our allegiance and in turn it will negatively impact our relationship with him and thus our experience of his kingdom. So here Jesus is trying to move his listeners to a sole allegiance to him. Jesus wants us to know that due to this, due to the fact that we can't serve two masters and we are to just serve him alone, that therefore... Do not worry. Jesus instructs us to not worry about our lives, about what we'll eat or drink, or about what we will wear. And yet these things can be easy for us to worry about. We can be con become concerned with what will happen in our lives. Will we have enough? Will there be enough food on the table? Will we have enough money to pay our bills? What about our bodies as they perhaps deteriorate? Will they last the way that we hope? and even concern over our clothing that we wear. And yet Jesus tells us that we're not to worry about these things. You may wonder, well, why are we not to worry about those? And Jesus gives us many reasons about this, multiple practical reasons as to why we are not to be filled with anxiety about these things. The first reason that Jesus gives us is because life is more than food and clothes. We see there in uh, the second half of verse 25, it says, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, we can become so focused on these things, and yet this is not what life is about. Living our lives to the fullest means having a grander vision than just what we eat or just what happens to our bodies or, or what we put on our bodies. When our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, Rather than our immediate needs, we're able to clearly be in his will. We're able to discern where he wants us to go and how he wants us to live because our attention is not taken over by the things of the moment, those things that he's addressed here. The second reason that he gives us as to why we are not worried is because God feeds the birds. Even though they don't labor, even though they don't toil, and yet we have more value to God than the birds of the air. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much, of much, much more value than they? I love the practical illustration Jesus gives us here of the birds. The birds that gather their foods and God provides for them. He uses this illustration to drive home the point that if God cares for the birds, how much more will he care for us? Because we are made in the image of God. We are made in the Imago Dei. Birds are not. We can care for birds. We can enjoy birds. But they are not made in the image of God the way that man is. And so won't God much more care for us and provide for us? And so we can trust that provision by looking at how God provides for the rest of his creation and knowing the value that we have to God. 
The third reason that he gives us not to worry is because he tells us worry doesn't add a span of life. In verse 27, it says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? We've all been there where we've spent our time worrying about something, where we've fretted over something, and it doesn't give us any time back. It doesn't achieve much, except usually lead us further and further astray from the Lord. Our worry and our concern when we allow that to become our focus doesn't give us anything. It's not life-giving in the way that Jesus is. Well, Jesus continues relating it to the flowers of the field, telling us in verse 28 and 29, why are you anxious about clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Solomon was a king of Israel who would have had immense riches, who would have been able to afford the most royal robes. And yet Jesus here tells us that Solomon was not dressed as fine as the lilies of the field, who God provides for, not because they work hard, not because the lilies toil or do the right thing, but because God created them and God provides for them and sustains them in a beautiful way. I think here, too, Jesus is using flowers not merely to teach us that life is short, but to show us that as God lavishes care on the wildflowers, how much more will he lavish care and preserve us, his children? Psalm 103, verses 13 through 17, tells us, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over, and it is gone, and the place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. So Jesus has used the birds of the air, and he's used the lilies of the field to show us how we don't need to worry, because God is a God who provides And the fifth reason he gives us after this first command is because God clothes the grass, the grass which lives a day. In verse 30 it says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The grass that we usually don't even give much thought to. Here in our day and age, we either just let it grow wild or we cut it and discard it and throw it away. And yet we see here that God cares for the grass. And if he cares for the grass and helps it to grow and helps to give it the nutrients it needs, how much more for us? The grass which lives such a short life is here today and gone tomorrow. And yet we who are created in God's image, God's beloved children, how much more will he provide the clothes that we need? And it's not that Jesus is saying that we shouldn't ever plan or prepare. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. But he's moving us forward, wanting to move us out of the point of anxious obsession over our physical needs. That indicates a passion for money and a distrust for the Lord at the root of it. See, that's what happens when we become so concerned with ourselves with our needs, with what happens tomorrow and with what we will wear and what we will eat, that it becomes so easy to go down that path of pursuing after wealth. 
Because that's what the world tells us is how we provide for those things. That if I have enough money in my bank account, then I'll never have to worry about food or shelter or about clothing. And so as we find our security in money, we end up serving money. And God's told us you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. And so he's trying to let us know not to never plan, but that our, we shouldn't be anxiously obsessed over these needs. Because we should trust God that he will provide for us. Peter adds in 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, Jesus moves us to a second command in verse 31, saying, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's a very similar command, but he uses that word therefore once again. So because of these reasons he's given us, because God takes care of the birds, because God takes care of the lilies and clothes them so well, because God takes care of the grass, because of that, because we've seen God's provision in nature, we don't need to be anxious wondering what will we eat, what will we drink, or what shall we wear. Jesus bases his second command out of the provisions that he's shown that God has in nature and driving us to recognize that God will care even more for us, his children. So we don't need to concern ourselves with where these will come from and uh, build up that anxious anxiety within us. Jesus wants us to trust him, to trust his provisions and his care. And he once again gives us another reason in verse 32 as to why we don't need to be concerned about this. He tells us that the Gentiles seek after these things. He says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And in in the day and age Jesus is preaching in, in the Greco-Roman era, there are many other deities, false gods of the day. And these gods would require sacrifices to restore favor from the people. And the people would spend their time worried and consumed about finding the right sacrifice, about offering the correct sacrifice so that those gods would give them favor. They were obsessed with appeasing the gods. So it made sense that they'd be concerned not only with finding the right offering, but also with providing for their own needs in that journey of appeasing the gods. But for those who followed Jesus He's not a demanding God like those gods were, where the right offering would then bring about his favor. He doesn't demand gifts in this way, but what Jesus is showing us is that in a different manner than the gods of the day, that God provides the gifts to his children. Jesus is showing us the difference between the false gods of the day and how one's faith in the true God leads to a different life. It leads to a life that is not concerned with offering up the right sacrifice, but that as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that he will provide for our needs. And Jesus is showing us that through these illustrations today. And he tells us there's no need to worry because your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. God is not oblivious to what your needs are. He knows what they are before you even ask him. It's not as though you go about your life and you think, well, I'm running out of food this week and and God's off, totally separate, has no idea that you're short on food. God knows what your needs are before you even ask. So Jesus is trying to point us away from anxiety over what our needs are to a trust in God that he will provide and that he knows what we need. And as we look throughout Scripture, we see throughout the whole story of God's interaction with humanity that when people look to the Lord, when they place their attention upon him and fix their eyes upon him, 
and trust him for their provisions that God provides. God doesn't turn his back on his people when they are faithful to follow him, but he provides and meets their needs time and time again. Jesus wants us to know that God sees us where we are and that he will provide for our needs. Well, our text today comes to a culmination in verse 33 with this third command, which is different from the others and really directs us as to where Jesus wants us to go. It says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is the peak of our text today. If we're being told by Jesus not to be filled with anxiety, not to be filled with worry and obsess over what comes tomorrow, over providing for ourselves, then what should we do? What do we do with our lives? And Jesus gives us the simple, clear answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And really this goes back to verse 24 where Jesus said we can't serve two masters. Where he's setting up that there's two paths that we can walk And the call here is to focus our attention not on our own provision, not on meeting our own needs or getting enough, but on the kingdom of God. To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else. That that must be our pursuit. Because if our pursuit becomes pursuing after what I'm going to wear, pursuing after having enough, pursuing after providing for myself, then I'm not pursuing after God above all else. I'm pursuing after my own desires, my own comforts, my own security, rather than the security that God offers me. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the king. It's to pray that his kingdom would come, and it's to submit to his reign in all aspects of our life. To proclaim to others that he is the king and to aim for his righteousness to come to fruition in our world. And the result, Jesus tells us there in verse 33, is that all these things will be added to you. All these things that have been addressed throughout the text that that, that Jesus has talked about needing, that we do need. The reality is we do need food to survive. We do need clothing and we do need shelter. And Jesus isn't saying you don't need any of these things, but he's saying don't worry about those. Trust God to provide. Put your attention on God and his kingdom and trust that he will give you these things. That if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he will provide for you. All these things will be added to you. God will take care of those things. When we put things in proper order with the Lord first, seeking after him above all else, then he will provide for our bodies, our food and our drink, and even our clothing. But the beauty is it will be in his will and how he knows is best for us. And there should be great comfort in that. Because while I often think I know what's best for myself, I'm usually wrong. And God knows what is truly best for me. Because sometimes what's best for me is to not be comfortable. Sometimes what's best for me is to suffer. Yet if I get to pick my path, it usually is going to be one that has very little suffering, very little discomfort, very little trials. And yet that may not be that the way the Lord wants to take me. Because that's not always what's best for us. And so as we trust in the Lord and seek him first, we trust him to provide for us and focus upon him, knowing that he knows what is best for us. And Jesus moves us to the fourth and final command of this text, saying in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So therefore, again, so pursue after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all this to you. Therefore, so once again, Jesus brings it back around because of what I've told you, because God will care for you and provide for you, you don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. Therefore, because God will give you all these things that you need when you seek after him first, do not be anxious about tomorrow. We don't need to be so worried and concerned about what will come and fill our minds with these questions of if we'll have enough. And yet, I don't know about you, but I have found far too many times it's so easy for me to be over on that side, concerning myself with what will happen tomorrow. Concerning myself with finances and if I'll have enough and what will that look like and what will the future look like and are my kids always going to be safe in the way that I hope they will be and what will they be raised like and concerning myself with tomorrow. And yet Jesus calls us to live over here, trusting in him, not worrying about tomorrow, not having anxiety grow and build within us because we trust his goodness and we know that he will provide for us. Last year, I went out to lunch with John Paget, and we were sitting down to lunch talking about life, and John was sharing how money had been a little bit tight, and how he didn't know how he was going to get all of his needs met, but he knew God would provide for him. He knew that God was faithful. And we walked outside after lunch, and a a woman approached us, approached John, because she needed some help. She said she needed some money for food, and, and I'm sitting over here on this side thinking, John, you just told me you don't have a ton of extra money and you shouldn't give her anything. You should concern yourself with tomorrow and providing for yourself tomorrow and making sure you have enough. And and I'm thinking about all the logical reasons of why he shouldn't help her and why he should plan for tomorrow. I'm sitting over here in this camp worrying about tomorrow for John. And John's over here giving his last $20 away to this woman and saying, it's okay. God will take care of me. God will provide for me. And I remember walking away thinking, John was living this out. He's trusting God's provision for tomorrow. He's trusting that as God put a stirring in his heart to care for this woman in that moment, that he needs to be faithful to that. And that God will provide for his needs. And God has. And the same is true for you and for me, that when we live in God's will, when we live seeking after God's kingdom and his righteousness, that God will provide for our needs each and every day. Now again, Jesus isn't saying never plan, never save, never uh, have wisdom with our finances. We know throughout Scripture as we read how money is talked about that those things are important and valuable as well. But it's the worry and the concern where what we begin to do is build up money and finances and security as the God that we're serving. That's what Jesus wants to steer us away from, that the God we are to serve is him alone, seeking after his kingdom, trusting in his provision. Because when we do that, our concern is not money and finances and wealth and our bodies and our needs, but our concern is Christ, knowing that he will give us those things, knowing that he will give us the wisdom to handle the finances he gives us well, that he will prepare for us for the days to come. Jesus tells us the last reason why this is true and tells us tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
There is enough that will go on tomorrow. Enough challenges and questions we'll have to wrestle with and struggles perhaps that Jesus is saying, leave those for tomorrow. Don't bring those into today and fill today with worry for tomorrow. Handle those tomorrow and focus on what is at hand today. Hold tomorrow in light of Jesus' provision and his care for you and the fact that he is Lord of your life and trust that he is enough. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what the call in this text is today. That is the call that Jesus lays out in this passage. Is that when we do that, when that is the priority of our lives, that there's no need to worry about tomorrow. That there's no need to be overly anxious about what will come because our eyes are fixed upon Jesus and he will provide for our needs. This text is a wonderful text in this day and age when there are so many who are filled with worry and anxiety, who don't know how they're even going to get through the day because their anxiety is crippling. And yet Jesus offers a different way of life. Jesus offers a way of life that brings peace because when I look to Christ and when I trust his provision and when I'm living in that spot like John was, the peace of Christ is so great over my life because I know Jesus will provide for me. When I'm living over here and I'm trying to do it on my own and I'm trying to build my own comfort and my own peace and seek after my own desires, it's a never-ending cycle. And it's not life-giving. It leads to death because I more and more elevate money and comfort and possessions as the God that I pursue after as opposed to Jesus Christ knowing that he will provide for me. So I want to suggest today three ways that we can apply this moving forward as followers of Jesus and as a church. I think the first one is that we have to pause and evaluate our hearts. I think this passage calls for that. It calls for us to take time to ask ourselves how we are doing in terms of seeking after Christ. Are we on the right path or have we allowed ourselves to become distracted seeking after money or, or whatever else comes in that side? Whatever else is not the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I've had times like these where the Lord has convicted me that I'm pursuing after my own desires more than his kingdom. That I'm seeking to build my own kingdom more than Christ's kingdom. And I've had to repent and make sure that I get on the right path again. So I would encourage you to pause this week. Pause today, perhaps even before we take communion in that the moment where we have some space to reflect and to ask yourself, what has captivated your heart? Does Jesus have your heart captivated or is there something else that's captivated your heart? Something that perhaps you do need to repent of and say, Lord, I've got my allegiance wrong. Realign my heart with you so that I may seek your kingdom first. So if you need to do that, take the space to do that. Realign your heart with the Lord, with the one and the only one that you will pursue after and serve. The second thing is that we would trust God for our daily bread. Both as individuals and as a congregation, this is very applicable. That we would know that God will meet our needs, that we will trust in his provision. I've shared before about George Mueller, but it's such a great story that I have to share it again because it's so fitting here. 
If you're not familiar with George Mueller, he was a Christian missionary and evangelist, and he had an orphanage in England as well. And through his faith and prayers and not asking for any money, he had the privilege of caring for over 120,000 orphan children. He also traveled over 200,000 miles by ship to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in 42 countries and to challenge believers about missions and trusting in God. In his journals, Mueller recorded miracle after miracle of God's provisions and answered prayer. And he was a wonderful example of trusting God for our daily bread. In fact, one morning at the orphanage, as they sat down for breakfast, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the kitchen and there was no money to buy food. The children were standing there waiting for their morning meal when Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. And then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. What faith! That there's nothing in the kitchen, there's no money for food, there's nothing on the table, and yet he gives praise to God for what they're about to eat. Oh, I pray that my faith will grow to be like that. The story continues and says, There was a knock at the door and the baker stood there. He said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock on the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. God's provision. God's provision for his daily bread. And in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, earlier in this chapter, Jesus instructs us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Practically, this means that we are looking to the Father to sustain us, to provide for our needs, rather than trying to do it all on our own or worrying ourselves about it. So put this into practice this week when you find that you need something. Rather than allowing your thoughts to go down the path of worry or concern, pray. Pray and ask the Lord to provide for your needs and then rest in the peace of the words of Jesus that remind us today that God will care for our needs. And my last encouragement for us today is that we would seek first the kingdom. Alan Badling provides a modern-day parable that I believe is important in figuring out how to seek first the kingdom. He states that there was once a king and his two servants, and each of the servants desired to do the will of the king, but they approached this work very differently. One of the servants, for fear of not pleasing his master, rose early each day to hurry along to do all the things that he believed the king wanted done. He didn't want to bother the king with questions about what that work was. Instead, he hurried from project to project, from early morning until late at night. The other servant, also eager to please his master, would rise very early as well. But he took a few moments to go to the king, to ask him about his wishes for the day and find out just what it was that he desired to be done. Only after such a consultation did the servant step into the work of his day. And the busy servant may have gotten a lot done by the time the inquiring servant even started his work, but which of them was doing the will of the master and pleasing him? See, genuine productivity is not about getting as much done for God as we can manage. 
It is doing the good work that God actually has for us in a given day. And so as we pursue the kingdom of God, as we seek first the kingdom of God, an important question to ask ourselves is how is God inviting us to do this? Is there a specific direction God is giving for us today as we seek first his kingdom? We want to walk the path that God has for us to pursue his kingdom above all else. And so we must begin by seeking him first. That is the first step in that. Seek first the kingdom of God. We must go to God and say, what is it that you would have me do? Because it's so easy to get distracted from the work of the Lord, to busy ourselves with the things of the day. And we want to ensure that as we seek first the kingdom of God, that we are actually in line with his will. Charles Colson, when preaching to a packed crowd of worshipers in Moscow in 1990, reminded them of the power of the kingdom. He told them this, he said, quote, All through human history, as far back as recorded time and doubtless before, kings, princes, tribal chiefs, presidents, and dictators have sent their subjects into battle to die for them. Only once in human history has a king not sent his subjects to die for him but instead died for his subjects. And this is the king who introduces the kingdom that cannot be shaken, because this king reigns eternally. You see, there is no one like the king Jesus Christ. No one who assures us that he will provide for us, who calls us not to worry, but rather to receive his peace, knowing that he will provide for our needs. You can rest in this today. You can cast your worry aside today knowing that Jesus will provide for your needs and ultimately that Jesus has provided for your greatest need for forgiveness for your sins through his death and resurrection upon the cross. This grace changes our lives forever and leads to an eternity enjoying the presence of God in his kingdom. May that be our desire and our pursuit. God's kingdom May it come about here on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the encouragement that you have given us in your word, for the glimpse of your kingdom and what it means. Lord, help us to put aside the things that perhaps get in the way or the things that distract us, the things that have our allegiance and shouldn't. Lord, bring those to mind that we might Repent of them and cast them aside. Lord, may you alone have our allegiance in our hearts. May you alone be our pursuit. Lord, in pursuing you, we know your peace and goodness. May we rest in your provisions today. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. We thank you for coming to earth, for living a perfect life, and for your willingness to go to the cross and die for our sins to be forgiven. Lord, we can never thank you enough, but we give you our lives in service as our Lord and Savior, as our King. We praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.